0: Welcome to the sixth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode, I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Mike Maney. Mike is a New York City-based director. Some of his favorite past directing credits include Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, Hello Dolly, Speech and Debate, The Robber Bridegroom, and Wonderful Town. As an assistant director, Mike has worked with Red Bull Theater, Berkshire Theater Festival, and Red Twist Theater. Mike received a master's in theater from Binghamton University. We're going to talk today about lyricist Yip Harburg. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be on here.
0: Well, we'll get right into our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical?
1: I think it's kind of a two pronged answer because I don't get to musical theater without Disney and growing up like, during the Disney Renaissance. I loved, you know, I grew up with Aladdin and Hercules and Hunchback of Notre Dame and which are structured like musicals and um, the classics like Peter Pan, I loved, and I'm not sure if you had this growing up, but there were the Disney sing along songs where you'd get to essentially have music videos. And I was introduced to music as a form of storytelling pretty much from birth. So I've, I've always loved music as a form of storytelling and then When I was seven years old, I got to see my first live musical, which was a high school production of Oliver. And I remember my mom taking me and the show was sold out and we were just waiting and hoping we'd be able to get in. And they added in chairs on the side aisles for us. And so I got to sit on my mom's lap to watch the show. And that was the only way I could could see it. But I was completely mesmerized by it. And just ever since then, I've just loved musicals.
0: What is the last great musical you saw?
1: I got to see A Man of No Importance in its final week, and I loved it so much. It's, it's a show that the music has always been a part of my life, and I, I've, I've loved the cast album for years, and finally getting to see it, and it's, it's such a well-done production, was just amazing. I keep hearing that it might be moving to Broadway, and every day I'm like, can we get that announcement, please? I want to see it again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I saw that production too. I also like had never seen the show before that. And I, I didn't know the album completely, but I knew a lot of the songs. What's a musical that people would be surprised to find out you love? And why would they be surprised?
1: I love the musical Annie. <laughs> and uh, I I've, a lot of my friends know that I'm a huge musical theater nerd. And you know, some might call that snobbery but it's just I have a wide range of musical tastes and so something as you know basic as Annie might surprise people that I love but I love going to see it because one I think it's a great show but I also like going and being around kids and who are clearly having their first theater experience and just getting to experience like the joy of people watching it around me just makes me happy and makes me like the show so much more even if it's you know Annie.
0: Yeah, no, I love Annie and I wish I could see it. I wish I could yeah. see it all the time because yeah. it's, it's such a great show. I agree. Um, what's your favorite musical that no one else has heard of?
1: I think that would be The Golden Apple, which is a bit of a cult classic, So, but it's a retelling of The Odyssey and The Iliad and it takes place in Washington State during the turn of the century and it's essentially an opera i guess but it, the music is gorgeous in it and uh, it was a success off broadway they moved it to broadway it got great reviews but closed quick and has just kind of become this cult classic of a show but the music is beautiful in it
0: who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical and who is your favorite villain or antagonist
1: My favorite hero would have to be Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof. I love watching his journey and going from a man who has very strong principles and doesn't seem like he can change at all. And then he grows throughout the show and we see how far he can go before enough's enough. And I love that he's hilarious and makes you laugh. And then he breaks your heart in act two and the, the three moments, the, the, prayers that he has and getting to see the introspection that he has is is so wonderful and I I could watch Fiddler on the Roof every day just for Tevya. And then I think my favorite villain has to be Captain Hook. I I've loved Peter Pan my whole life and in any incarnation I've always loved Captain Hook and I would get the Mary Martin VHS and I would <laughs> intentionally when she, Peter would ask to clap to get Tinkerbell to come back to life, I didn't want to clap because I wanted Captain Hook to win because ah! I, I wanted I I just loved Hook so much and and I also just love that like as far as villains go, he's not villainous really. He's not evil. He's just you know this
2: mm-hmm.
1: fop, I guess would be the best yeah. way of describing him. And he's just very elegant and and it's it's a smarter kind of villain as opposed to just evil.
0: <laughs> and he has those moments where he's like, "Why am I not lovable?" <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and th- there's something like where you have a hard time rooting against him and rooting for Peter Pan because he's mm-hmm. so charming with how he how he is, and just and is a very elegant man who also is you know out to murder a child. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, it's nice that you never see him actually die. He kind of just like. He- jumps off the ship and you can just imagine whatever however you want his ending to go or his non-ending maybe he just swims away and has a full life somewhere else
1: (laughs) that's how i like to imagine it ended where he's just like living his best life somewhere else away from it all
0: (laughs) amazing um what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to
1: I think a quiet thing from Flora the Red Menace does something so well. Where when we think of like joy and happiness, it's usually these big numbers, these huge moments of joy, and like the ensemble comes in and you know they're singing and dancing about this great thing that happened. But with a quiet thing, it's all about the opposite of that about how great something can be in your life. But it doesn't have to be this big moment, it's just a quiet moment and a way to just look inward and be appreciative and it's still you're still as happy as you know you would have been if you did have like the big you know sweeping chorus number but it's this great moment of um what's the lyric of uh happiness comes through on Mm tiptoes and it's it's just it's such an imperfect encapsulation of those moments in our lives where like you're expecting a big thing in your life because everything's going so great but it's actually just a quiet Easy moment,
0: yeah, yeah. I love that song, and I would posit that that song is great at making you feel a thought, which can lead, which can segue right into our topic of discussion for today, which is lyricist and I guess also libretto, sometime librettist, uh, Yip Harburg. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm very excited to talk about him because we really haven't so much on the podcast and he's such like a, a major lyricist uh, in musical theater. Um, so, yeah, I guess start with just like uh, your how you came to him and his work and uh, why you want to talk about him.
1: Yeah, he's interesting because he's such a huge part of the musical theater canon, but he isn't a household name like so many other famous lyricists and I think like everybody else I was first introduced to Yip Harburg through The Wizard of Oz but I had no idea that that was Yip Harburg until <laughs> yeah. years and years later that I was like oh it's that guy who did that and <laughs> and getting to appreciate that where I I think my earliest introduction was to, for his musicals was I was in a Record store and just grabbed the original Broadway cast of Finian's Rainbow because I was just curious about it, and then listening to it, going, this, "This guy's great!" Like, what else has he done? And just kind of gone down the rabbit hole that way.
0: Yeah, I I did see uh, the TV version of Bloomer Girl um, oh. at the Paley Center. They did like a program where they showed it. I don't know where if it's available uh otherwise but uh they did a program and barbara cook who starred in it um was there uh this was like a tv program that was like 10 years they did it like about 10 years after the uh, broadway production and uh and people kept asking her questions afterwards there was like a QA, and she, every answer was i don't remember <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'm sure it was probably like 40 years after the I fact know, that she's I, like,
0: I, I, was yeah. like, I, I I mean, it's, it's, un, yeah, it's understandable, but just so funny to have like her there for this Q and A and she like could barely answer any questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I saw that um, his musical, other than Finian's Rainbow, which people know, cause it has been revived. I think people kind of grew up with it and as like a household name uh as a musical but um yeah i don't i don't think people really know like the breadth of his work
1: yeah and and it's just interesting that he's responsible for so many songs that are just kind of part of like the music lexicon Mm -hmm. and and it's just kind of he's it's subtle in a way where it's just like oh i guess that was a yip Harburg song without you know it's only right. a paper moon is such a yeah. classic song that so many people know but i guarantee you very few people will be able to tell you that he wrote the lyrics to
0: it right right or brother uh can you spare a dime which yeah. i knew growing up it had no idea that that was the same person who wrote you know the wizard of oz <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it's like he. He was able to like bookend the 1930s with like first like the anthem of the Great Depression with "Brother, Can You Spare a Dime," mm-hmm. and then close out the 30s with "Over the Rainbow," which is easily one of the most iconic songs in a movie. You know?
0: Right? Like, every, I, I mean, I don't want to say everybody knows that song, but many, many people. <laughs> yeah,
1: like I like if you said everybody knows that song, I think you'd only be a little bit off. Like, right. you know. <laughs>
0: right so and and he also um you know has given us a lot of great quotes such as the one i referenced uh with a quiet thing which is um words make you think a thought music makes you makes you feel a feeling and a song makes you feel a thought um just the idea of a, that a song makes you feel a thought is i don't know it it really changed my view of thinking about songs and what they can do and
1: yeah he was like very poetic whenever he would talk about songwriting and mm-hmm. just the way that music works in general and it's just t- there's tons of quotes out there and i think that one's the most famous but it, th- that quote would be like the thesis of musical theater mm-hmm. would be the best way of describing it where it's just that is at its core what musical theater is And he has this other great quote that's um, a song is the pulse of the nation's heart. It is the fever chart of its health. Are we at peace? Are we in trouble? Do we feel beautiful? Are we violent? Listen to our songs. Hmm. And I think that's such a great quote. And I I believe he said that in the 1930s after the success of brother, can you spare a dime?
0: Hmm. One thing I learned about him was that how how very political he was but you can if you know his work it's like very obvious if you just know the wizard of oz it may be not as obvious but he really like believed in like uh, the, all these social issues um and wanted to write you know the, with those you know at the forefront
1: Totally. Yeah. I I can't think of any other writer writing for musical theater during that time period that was nearly as progressive as he was. And he wasted no time to tackle such weighty themes in his musicals and was able to show what can be accomplished after the the Oklahoma revolution in terms Mm -hmm. of storytelling.
0: Yeah. Because he, I mean, Bloomer Girl, like Oklahoma was 1943 and Bloomer Girl, which I guess was his I want to say, like, his first musical to, like, hit, <laughs> I guess.
1: Yeah, it, it, that was his first post-Oklahoma show. And the, he had two before that. And,
2: yeah,
1: you know, they, they were fun. But, you know, they're those run-of-the-mill musicals from that time where, you know, yeah. they, turned, they turned the profit and closed and we don't have recordings of cast right. albums of those shows. So they just kind of, some of the songs from them still live on, but they're really nothing of note right and with bloomer girl it's interesting that one almost i would say half of the creative team were the oklahoma creative team with i think the exception of the director maybe the only person who wasn't taken from the oklahoma creative (laughs) team and they took celeste home who was 80 annie in oklahoma yeah and made her the lead and you can just kind of tell that they went out of their way when writing bloomer girl to be like, we're going to make this as integrated as humanly possible. And Mm -hmm. every single song is going to be in the world of the, of the show.
0: I mean, that has the song Eagle and me, which uh, became, uh, you know, many people have covered that song and it became, uh, you know, just, just a song, you know, in the world. And then, uh, but it has that line in it that Sondheim references is like one of his favorite lyrics ever, which is like it's uh, ever since that day when the world was an onion. And And I think it's just it's just kind of, I mean, I guess now I, we would kind of say it's like a kind of random uh, uh, image to throw in there because it, the song starts like, uh, the song's imagery is like river it likes to flow, eagle it likes to fly, you know it's all these um, images of like animals and nature you know being free
1: and, and asking like why does the gopher leave his hole and it's it's all, all talking about all the, this idea of freedom
3: river it likes to flow eagle it likes to fly eagle it likes to feed swings against the sky, possum, it likes to run, ivy, it likes to climb, bird in the tree and bumblebee want freedom in autumn or summertime, ever since the day when the world
1: It does seem like an out of left field way of describing something, yeah. but it also, I think, encapsulates like who the person is singing it, and like you kind of understand how they see the world by describing it as an onion. You know, <laughs>
0: right, right, and it's like I, I don't know. It's like ever since that day, which day? Which day when the world was an
1: onion? Did it start as an onion?
0: I know. Is it still an onion? But I guess not. Uh, Or maybe it is uh, still. I guess it is still an onion because we still, the idea is like we still, uh, human beings and animals and everything in nature has the desire to be free. Um, Totally. And it's been that way ever since... I, I guess it's kind of like ever since the world was created is kind of what it's,
1: yeah, like going for yeah I, yeah, and it's it's just like I, I wish I knew like the full like like i it's one of those things where I kind of want to get my hands on an, a, a script just to kind mm-hmm. of see more about this person instead of just, you know, the the quick moments we get on the cast album. Yeah. Well, cuz this there. character
0: is is he a uh, enslaved character? Yes, it's yeah. a Pompey
1: who is uh the enslaved uh person of the uh protagonist's betrothed. I guess it's it's her mm-hmm. um her dad's pick for husband and her aunt is hiding Pompey mm-hmm. and I'm trying to. It's the the thing about the the Yip Harburg musicals is the the plots are just stuffed so heavily with so many different moving parts that it it makes makes it kind of hard to talk about without somebody just trying to be right. able to keep track of everything. And I guess we
0: could we should say the like the overall plot of the show. Why it's called Bloomer Girl is like they're they're the women want to wear bloomers, and it's like that it's her. Is, is her family in the bloomer industry or something?
1: So so what it is, it's her dad owns a hoop skirt industry. Oh, okay. And, and her way of rebelling is no longer wanting to wear hoop skirts, but wants to wear bloomers instead. And mm-hmm. it takes place in Cicero Falls, which is like an obvious stand-in for Seneca Falls. Mm. And it's very much based in the early uh, women's liberation movements of the late 1800s, right before the civil war that began and it shows that harberg kind of wasted no time in making social issues the front and center of the, the musicals he's writing
0: yeah because there's that song which is just like a great song about you know wanting to be free um and the other song that i like uh from that score is it was good enough for grandma because this is more like eagle and me i think was it is cl- kind of like a simpler lyric and kind of similar to somewhere over the rainbow but it was good enough for grandma is a comedy song uh harburg what harburg also loves <laughs> i guess to yeah, do. It, it-
1: it just, it seems like he's always having fun when he writes these types of songs. It's like this subtext of just like, how clever can I be while still being in the parameters of the world of the musical and still having it come from story. But at the same time, I'm going to kind of show off a little bit and show you how funny I can be and how clever of a rhyme I can come up with. And yeah. I, I love the the concept of the song where you're expecting it to have people, you know, agree that, you know, it was good enough for grandma, so it's so it's good enough for me, but it's the exact opposite and it's it's the the girls talking about how they don't want to be like their grandmas and how they want to be able to live their own lives.
0: Yeah, like uh, you know, it starts with like she grandma, you know, was all she did was sewed and cleaned and cooked and, you know, she had no voice in government. It says and uh, this line. She only knew what love meant. Love meant rhymes with government. She only knew. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she only knew what love meant from eight to half past eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's I love. That's such like a sneaky little line. Um, yeah. That's
1: uh, like him and Cole Porter. I feel like they they just would do this thing where they're like, "How naughty can I be?" And just kind of hope it breezes past before somebody notices that I just made like a quick little sex joke
0: right right (laughs) yeah and it ends uh, well right before it ends uh, the last verse is uh, uh, beware our secret weapon we could stop giving birth Uh, (laughs) it's it's like whoa
1: (laughs) a a little Lysistrata moment yeah (laughs)
0: We won
3: the revolution in 1776. Who says it's next for us to mix our sex with politics? We bigger seas to swim in and bigger worlds to slice. Oh sisters, oh, sisters, are we women or mice? Look twice before you step on the fair sex of the earth. Beware our secret weapon. We could stop giving birth. Hey, that
2: for what it's worth. It was good enough for Grandma
3: That good
2: all down With her frills and feathers and fuss It was good enough for Grandma Good enough for Grandma But it ain't good enough for us No, oh, it good
1: enough for us Because th- there's that song And then there's also Tamara Tamara, which yeah. i think also shows the type of joke that yip liked to make where he would be making these false rhymes or these imperfect rhymes but it is character driven so it doesn't make it sound like an imperfect rhyme like it would make sense that this person would say Tamara, not mm-hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. And, and then just going, well, how, what sort of words can I rhyme with Tamara? And even though it shouldn't be rhyming, it sounds good on the ear.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then, I mean, his biggest show, I guess, is Finian's Rainbow.
1: Yeah, for for sure. And it's, I, I think it's a show that a lot of people know of, but don't actually know. Like, yeah. if you- the name Finian's Rainbow, people are like, oh yeah, I've, that's a musical, and that's kind of like the beginning and the end of it. <laughs> but I, I love this show, and I I think it's, especially for when it was written, I think it is is so well-constructed and such a great biting satire, which I think is so hard to do, especially in a musical. And, you know, I feel like a lot of musicals do tackle political themes, but it's always done in a more serious tone, and Musical satires, especially political satires, I feel like are few and far between. Mm -hmm. I think You're in Town is like the most recent example I can think of of a political satire. And that's 20 years old at this point.
0: Yeah, I feel like satires must be so hard to do.
1: (laughs) It's just such a tightrope to walk in terms of tone. And, And I think Finian's Rainbow does such a great job where it is conveying a message without being too preachy. It is talking about something serious without taking itself seriously Mm -hmm. and it just culminates in this delightful fantasy that yeah like there's just so many sub genres within Finian's Rainbow between it being this political satire it's also a rom-com it's a Mm -hmm. fantasy it's you know it has all of these different uh you know it's social commentary and it it shouldn't work because there's so many things going on at once, but yeah. I, I personally think it, it works very well.
0: And yeah, and this this show really highlights like how much uh, Harburg loves uh, fantasy and to yes. write like for kind of fantastical stories. Like Bloomer Girl, there wasn't really any <laughs> any fantasy in that. This and obviously Wizard of Oz and um, is like I he has that element to him as well it's like the mick the marriage of um social commentary and fantasy
1: for sure and and i think it helps like the fantasy kind of lets him get away with a little bit more because it's like well this isn't like the real world we're living in it's you know (laughs) Finian's rainbow takes place in missitucky you know (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) which and you know which Says a lot because you immediately it, it evokes a place, but it's not a real place. Just hearing right. the words like Missitucky, you immediately know what kind of world it is.
0: <laughs> right. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, but it's in those states,
1: <laughs> and, like specifically within two miles of Fort Knox, <laughs> uh-huh. and because like, that's the, the the reason Finian goes there is to plant the the crock of gold close enough to Fort Knox so it'll grow and multiply, and he'll be rich. Mm-hmm. Which in itself is just a very absurd premise, as the you know the the inciting incident for the for the musical.
0: Well, what are your favorite songs from the show?
1: I have such a hard time picking a favorite because I know
0: <laughs> I know you mentioned favorites are hard, it, but...
1: <laughs> but but like it's it, the reason favorites are hard for this one is because I love so many of them that I mm-hmm. get, like. But I think when I'm not near the girl I love is one of my favorite songs because it's. The wordplay is so delicious, and mm-hmm. and just the the premise of the song where it's the leprechaun seeing a girl, thinking it's the girl he met earlier in the day, but it's not. Yet he still loves her just as much as the girl he he met, and and he's becoming more mortal, and then realizes that like being a human just means he's suddenly horny, which is like the <laughs> and like that is what makes him sing is that like the idea of like oh is this what it means to be human and that leads it in and there's just so many little like lines in there there's a lot of like f alliteration in there Mm -hmm. and the one the lines are every femme that flutters by me is a flame that must be fanned when i can't fondle the hand i'm fond of i fondle the hand at hand (laughs) which is just it's so brilliant and it's so funny
3: Oh, my heart is beating wildly, and it's all
1: because
3: you're here. When I'm not near the girl I love, I love
4: the girl I'm near. Every femme that flutters
3: by me is a flame that must be fanned. When I can't fondle the hand
0: I'm fond of, I fondle the hand that hand. But each phrase, I, I think, uh, or each I, is that the chorus or whatever it is. Each each of those verses has that little turn of phrase in some way. Yeah, um, so- and each time it's it's very clever.
1: The uh, when when I'm not facing the face that I fancy, I fancy the face I face. Yeah, like, you know, just all of those F's, and then turning the phrase like that is just—it's so delicious. <laughs>
0: yeah, I feel like he was really good at at phrase turns. <laughs> and
1: I, I was reading that what he would do is just fill like notepads just full of ideas for lines, and just throw it away and throw it away, and then you know eventually he'd get to where he wanted to go, but he would just. I'm just kind of fascinated how somebody's brain works like that where yeah. you're just filling up like pages and pages of ultimately what he doesn't think are good enough lyrics that I'm sure are better than any lyric I could ever think of <laughs> for the situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those turns of phrase kind of um I mean it reminds me of this song his song uh Paper Moon. But it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. Yeah. It's that same kind of like uh here's the phrase and then here's the turn of the phrase in the next line
1: and it's it's just it's so good because you're not expecting it and then just when it hits you're just like i'm i'm so happy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's you know in uh, when the idle poor become the idle rich which mm-hmm. is the the act 2 opener and uh, the premise of the song is is it'll be hard to tell the rich from the poor and we can't have that because the sharecroppers were given all of this credit to to purchase these things because they discovered gold in the ground and so between act one and act two all of the things they ordered on credit come in and Mm. there's a lyric it's um when we all have ermine and plastic teeth how will we determine who's who underneath and when mm. all your neighbors are upper class, you won't know your Joneses from your Asters, Right. <laughs> the, the emphasis on, on the, the, the ass and aster's and-
0: Yeah.
4: When the idle poor become the
1: idle rich, you'll never
4: know just who is who or who is which. Won't it be rich when everyone's poor relative becomes a rocker relative and palms no longer itch? What a switch. Don't know your Joneses from your rasters. Let's toast the day, the day we drink that drinky up, but with the little pinky up.
2: The day on which the
4: idle poor
2: become the idle rich.
0: And then that comes, I think that comes back again, that, ty- that type of line with "but," like something your butt... Oh, Blurs. yeah. So <laughs> you
1: you can't tell your banker from your butler. Yeah. Which it's it's just it's so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean and and this song I guess is you know very much the social the social commentary element. <laughs>
1: exactly. And and I think it makes you listen a little bit more closely because you're getting like sucked into the fun that's being had and like you're it's this cheery song but when you take a moment to like, listen to what they're saying it's it's really you know social commentary and it it seems like with a lot of his songs and the things he wrote he would go the spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down route in terms of wanting to draw attention to a certain issue but doing it in a very humorous way which is probably why i i like yip harberg so much because i very much like using humor as a way to draw attention to social issues
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah, and then there are just, like, the gorgeous songs in Finian's Rainbow, like, uh, or Look to the Rainbow, How Are Things in uh, Devil, De- what is it, Devil's Moon? Um,
1: uh, Old Devil Moon.
0: Oh, Devil Moon, yeah.
1: And, yeah, they're all, and it's just funny that this person who can write these punchy, biting lyrics can also write these gorgeous love songs and mm-hmm. that are just so well done and it's just the way he's able to run the gamut is really just it's wonderful and I I love with how are things in Glockamora it was written as a way for Sharon to make Finian feel guilty about making them leave Ireland and so she's mm-hmm. singing this beautiful it's got a very like melody right. to it and it's all to try to get him to start to feel homesick so maybe he'll go home and at the end of the song, you see that he's crying. And she's like, Father, are you okay? And he goes, Oh, no, it's just that cheap Irish music. And it's the button to the song after singing this beautiful ballad.
2: How are
3: things in Glockamora? Is that willow tree still weeping there? Does that laddie with the twinkling eye? whistling by and does he walk away sad and dreamy there not to see me there so I ask each week That comes a
2: whistle
0: I guess we should also mention that uh, Harburg is working with two, mainly two different composers here. uh, I mean, not here in the show, but this show is uh, with one Burton Lane and uh, the Bloomer Girl and Wizard of Oz. That was with Harold Arlen.
1: Yeah, he bounced around with a few different composers, which I think also may be a reason why he's not as well known. It kind of seems to be a theme with people, like Cy Coleman and like Charles Strauss who are excellent at what they do but for whatever reason we don't really put them in the same conversations as you know Bach and Harnick or Lerner and Lowe and Sondheim or just because you know they were either doing both or they were teams so you always associate the name with the other and as opposed to like and it, it seems kind of I feel like I'm accidentally like shorting people by just focusing in on Harburg because it really is like Harold Arlen did an awful lot to make these musicals what they are. And Burton Lane did a lot to make these shows what they are too. So it's there. To me, they are Yip Harburg shows as opposed to Harburg and Arlen or Harburg and Lane.
0: Yeah. He really seemed like a, a driver of, of, of like the, the story, the type of stories that were going to be told, and
1: yeah, and it seemed he also would co-write a lot of the books. Where um, his name was Fred Sadie, did mm-hmm. almost all of them, and all of his credits on Broadway are exclusively Yip Harburg musicals. And mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, a lot of those musicals, uh, Harburg has a co librettist credit on there as well.
0: Yeah, so. I'm gonna go out on a little limb and say that he reminds me a little bit of, um, Howard Ashman, Uh, like just in terms of like the, I mean, Howard Ashman, I guess mainly wrote with one person, but otherwise just like, just like the, the kind of, the kind of commentary he was able to achieve within like fantastical fantasy, uh, shows and, the, the fact that he was Howard Ashman also seemed like such a driver of the stories. And like I like when you hear about how Yip Harburg had such like a hand in the overall storytelling of The Wizard of Oz, the same way that you hear that Ashman had a hand in the overall storytelling of like The Little Mermaid and subsequent Disney films and stuff.
1: Yeah, 100%. And it's interesting because with like The Wizard of Oz, I think comparing the two of them, it really makes sense because with The Wizard of Oz, he, had, he was the final story editor on it. So it was up to him to turn it into a cohesive story from beginning to end because there's something like 10 or 11 people who were working on the script to Wizard of Oz and did treatments of it and you know like Herman Mankiewicz did the Kansas section and these other people did you know the Munchkinland section and all of this and it was up to him to go all right so we had 10 people write this why don't I take a pass at it and make it one cohesive story mm-hmm. and he also ended up writing the whole wizard speech at the end with uh you've had you know brains all along you've had the courage within you and mm-hmm. th- that was all written by Yip Harburg, and uh he doesn't get credit for it but it's documented that he is the one who, who did all of that
0: they both have their own style of wordplay that i think is very different but uh but they both still do a lot of wordplay um. yeah
1: and and i think it's interesting too that these strong i want songs mm. that a female character sings and Howard Ashman like described it as, you know, she sits down on something downstage and tells us the secret and, you know, the thing that she wants more than anything. And that is 100% what uh, over the rainbow is. And it's just that, that moment that, you know, it's interesting that the wizard of Oz came out in 1939. So it's pre Oklahoma and the pre like idea of like, fully integrating a musical but as a whole I feel like The Wizard of Oz is a fairly integrated show and the songs are for the most part very plot centered
0: yeah and character (laughs) and uh, it's interesting like I heard him, Harburg saying in some interview or something that you know I always knew there was that jitterbug song at the end toward the end that was cut and how he was saying like that they you know they had a lot more music or songs for that latter half of the movie that they took out and it like made the latter half less less musical i guess
1: yeah cuz it really does hit a point i guess it's after the merry old land of oz where you really don't hear another song i'm yeah. trying to think if there's anything else like yeah
0: and i i get i get that cuz i feel like movies like start to have to drive to the end like that, that musicals don't necessarily have to do. Um, And you can see that in the Disney films too. Like most of the songs are, you know, toward the beginning and the end kind of just like drives, (laughs) drives itself to the end.
1: Yeah. I wish there was some record of these songs that would have been, you know, in the latter half because, you know, they've adapted the Wizard of Oz to the stage and it's pretty much just a copy and paste of the movie with the addition of the jitterbug. Yeah.
0: Which, we did The Wizard of Oz in my middle school, and we did the the Jitterbug song, and it's it's so great. It's such yeah. a great number. I mean, I guess it works best it probably works best on stage, but um who knows? I mean, obviously there's filmed there's footage of what it would have been in the film, but the what you're able to do on stage with that number is is really great.
3: It's a hoosis. It's a hooses. It's a Watsons. It's a Watsons. Who's, Who's, Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that hiding in the treetops? It's that Nebraska? the Vigilabug. Should you catch him buzzing around, you keep away from the Vigilabug. And the bees and the breeze and the trees Have a terrible, horrible buzz But the bats and the bees and the breeze and the trees Couldn't do what the jitterbug does So be careful Of that rascal keep away from The jitterbug Oh, the jitter Oh, the bug Oh, the jitter Bug, 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 bug In the Twitter in in the All the
1: critters got dancing on a thousand toes. Ah, she blows! Yeah, I assistant directed a production of it a couple of years ago, and they had uh, the Wicked Witch of the West sing it, and it was like uh, she was the one like navigating the jitterbuster.
0: Interesting. Jitterbug. Yeah, yeah we, we just had um you know a, a jitter a person playing a jitterbug a jitterbug yeah. but but like it was what was so cool was like you know you do it in a middle school you have like tons of middle school kids and they just all like they keep multiplying on the stage yeah. and there's no <laughs> there's no end to the amount of middle school kids you you have so
1: when I was a freshman in high school, that was the the high school musical of that year. And I think between all of the high schoolers and then they had elementary school kids being mm. the munchkins. The, I think there's a hundred people on that stage. Wow. And it was just, just, just madness.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I guess we should talk about the fact that he was blacklisted. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was a big part of his career and kind of shaped like what he did.
1: Yeah. and it, It's one of those things where he has said that he was never a communist and so it was one yeah. of those but, but he was just politically to the left and that was enough to be considered, you know, a threat by McCarthy and the ilk. And he was listed in red channels with a whole bunch of other people. And it, it kind of disillusioned him in terms of like Hollywood and wanting to be there and writing music for movies in Hollywood. And, there's there was supposed to be the Finian's Rainbow movie pretty much as soon as the musical opened on Broadway. Everyone was trying to get the film rights, but the one that went out was it was going to be an animated film, which mm. I think is the perfect way to tell Finian's Rainbow. And you can see that uh, there's original sketches and you can see character drawings for certain characters and Frank Sinatra was supposed to play Woody in it. And Ella Fitzgerald was going to sing the song Necessity. And you can hear recordings of those. And it's kind of fun to take a look into those. And he got blacklisted and the director and the animator of the film got blacklisted. So they just mm. fully abandoned it, which is really too bad. And I, I would love someday for some studio to turn Finian's Rainbow into a cartoon because it's it's the perfect musical to be turned into that
0: wow i mean what what could have been i guess um yeah i mean i want to definitely take some time just to talk about other yip Harburg lyrics that we love um i wanted to my my entry would be napoleon's a pastry or is it called napoleon's a pastry or just napoleon i've seen it both ways so So, i'm not sure (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think it's Napoleon's of pastry because it was a, a the title of the song Yip Harburg wrote for one of the early musicals he did. I think it may have been um, "Hold on to Your Hats." No, it was Hooray for What," which was the first yeah. Uh, musical. Yeah, record.
0: that's where um, that's where I saw it listed first. Yeah, and then
1: and then he took the title and changed all of the lyrics and put uh, it into Jamaica.
0: Okay, so, so the, the, only, one... the only
1: thing was the Napoleon's of pastry.
0: Got it. Okay. I was wondering about that because I saw it listed as a song for that earlier show and and then realized it was also in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's that um, Napoleon's a pastry, which got turned into this amazing song from Jamaica. And then yeah. there was what ended up becoming the if I only had a brain, if I only had a heart and the nerve that got dropped from the musical and got repurposed into mm. the Wizard of
0: Oz Oh, got it. Yeah, so Napoleon's a pastry is this I, I didn't know it and then like in Sondheim's like finishing the hat book, he like references it as like a, a good example of a list song. Uh, so that's where I first heard about it and uh, it's just like this amazing list song that just lists all these uh people names who then had their names repurposed to be a product yeah (laughs) and it's just this amazing idea to uh, and and definitely an amazing of course you know comes from somebody who's very socially conscious and thinking about things like how capitalism works um But it has just these amazing lines like, well, first it has uh, this great rhyme in the first uh, stanza where it's um, Alexander's a creme de cacao mixed with rum and Herbie Hoover's uh, is a vacuum. And you (laughs) you have to say it like vacuum (laughs) (laughs) to rhyme with rum Um, because if you don't, it doesn't work.
1: (laughs) It's so clever and it's just... I wish my brain worked like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I
0: know. And then it, but then it get like, it, it's like starts as a list. And as it goes on, it gets like even more like pointed. Um, like, yes, my noble lads comes today. We're fads comes tomorrow. We are subway ads. Like amazing. And then he rhymes. Um, All these big wig controversials are just commercials now. Napoleon's a
3: pastry. Bismarck is a herring. Alexander's a cream de cocoa mixed with rum. A circle and a day off. Pershing is a square. What a payoff! Julius Caesar is just a salad on a shell. So little brother, get wise to yourself. Life's a bowl and it's. Full of cherry pits play it big and it throws you for a loop that's the way with fate comes today we're great comes tomorrow we're tomato soup Napoleon's a pastry get this under your brow what once used to be a rooster is just a duster
2: now.
1: Like it's hard not to just sit here and just keep gushing about how just smart and witty these lyrics are, but they're just they're just so good, and I I have a hard time thinking of a contemporary who writes lyrics like that this day. Not that I like begrudge any of the current crop of writers, but I just can't think of anybody that really. Goes out of their way to like one make a list song because I feel like list songs have kind of gone the way of the the dodo. But
2: mm-hmm. not
1: only that, just cramming in as much delicious rhymes as humanly possible into one song. It's just I, I yeah. can't think of any examples. I, I'm sure like David Yazbek has would probably be the closest person, yeah. but I can't even think of.
0: Well, this is also my head. Yeah, and this is also like such a good example of a list song that needs to be a list like sometimes yeah. list songs are i feel like are just like a list for the sake of like having a list or something but this like like the point of the list is like to get you to feel how much this happens you know and so it's like a like such a great use of a list song also
1: yeah and it, and it's true that in every single one of these names listed my brain goes to the product before the person
0: yeah <laughs> it's, it's
1: like the, the joke in Home Alone 2 when he's getting the tour and he's like you know Herbert Hoover used to uh once stayed on this floor and Macaulay Culkin's like oh the vacuum
0: guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it, that's and and when this was written when like in the 50s I guess
1: yeah I I think it was 57 was Jamaica
0: yeah yeah, so that that I feel like that's right in the era of like when this was like really happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the the height of the marketing and madmen style world.
0: Yeah. Starting to form. Yeah. Well, what what are some of your favorite? Um,
1: have, there's lyrics? another uh, another list song of his that I love is from the Marx Brothers movie at the circus, mm-hmm. which is a totally forgettable movie. And it's like, I'm somebody who loves the Marx Brothers. But like <laughs> the, the one moment in it is the song Lydia, the Tattooed Lady, where it's Groucho talking about the tattooed lady at the circus and is describing all of her different tattoos. And so it again, it's, it's another like it needs to be a list song because it's describing all of these different things. And, but even before the list, it's uh, yeah, Lydia O Lydia, the Encyclopedia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and but then uh, when he's describing the tattoos, it's um, on her back is the Battle of Waterloo. beside it the wreck of the Hesperus too. and proudly above waves the red, white, and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. And it's just like the history of the world is just on her body and
0: right. Uh, That's such a great line. You can learn a lot from Lydia.
1: And like, what's funny about, because it was in a movie and it was dealing with like the Hayes Commission, there were some lyrics that were considered a little bit more like body that they made Harburg rewrite the end so that mm. Lydia got married at the end because.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> we, which is
1: just like such a silly thing to think of. like this, like, yeah. well, if, 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 if you're going to be this body, she better be married, you know. <laughs>
0: right. Oh my uh, gosh.
1: Oh, it's it's this uh, come along and see Buffalo Bill with his lasso, just a little classic by Mendel Picasso. Here <laughs> is Captain Spaulding exploring the Amazon and Godiva, but with her pajamas on, which is <laughs> it's just so clever. And, and Captain Spaulding is uh, Groucho Marx character from Animal Crackers. So it's self-referential while being this history lesson of the world on her body. <laughs>
2: Right.
4: Oh Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia? Lydia, the tattooed lady. She has eyes that men a dorsal, and a torso, even more so, Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia, oh Lydia, the queen of tattoos. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo, beside it the wreck of the Hesperus, too. I'm proudly above waves
0: The red, white, and blue You can learn a lot from Lydia La la la, la 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 any other, any other lyrics we want to talk about?
1: I really like the song uh, Buds Won't Bud Which is from Hooray for What And Barbara Cook does a beautiful version of it mm. And what I like about it is that, like, is We've been focusing on the wit And mm. the jokes that Yip Harburg does it very well but this is a tender love song while still having the wit behind it but it's just a nice ballad and i know like we've been focusing on the list songs and the word play and things but his ballads are also just as unparalleled as the jokes and the fun that he likes to have with his songs uh, the lyric is on account there's no accountant when you can't have the one you like all your troubles keep on mounting, and the world is on a sit-down strike, and it's just a way of showing that you know I, I'm in love, but I feel like I'm not the the person's not in love with me mm-hmm. too.
3: On account there's no accounting when you can't have the one you like. All your troubles keep on mounting, and the world is on a sit-down strike call. A buds won't bud, breeze won't breeze, and you won't you. One and one makes thirty-two, and the one you love won't love you.
1: It's tender and it's it's lovely, and it shows a whole nother side of Harburg that I don't think, especially t- today on this episode that we necessarily, you know, think to focus in on.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess his. His number one song was Over the Rainbow, which is the you know, barely any cleverness or wordplay or yeah. anything. I mean, I think it really I I wonder about like why, you know, why that is, but I think most I think there's like a group of people who love wordplay and everybody else just loves like an <laughs> like <laughs> a a more simple song in a way like yeah like everybody loves a can love a simple song but a small group of people smaller group of people really appreciate wordplay
1: so yeah like, and i'm somebody in the camp that really enjoys when a lyricist can play Mm -hmm. and 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 while it's still being character driven and story driven as opposed to just like hey look at me kind of a thing but also yeah. like the the tenderness that he has is just it, it's unparalleled and i really like it's you don't really ever hear it but in over the rainbow there's an opening verse before the chorus yeah. that every once in a while somebody will do but i don't think it's necessarily uh, something that a lot of people know and the lead into it it's um when all the world is a hopeless jumble and the raindrops tumble all around heaven opens a magic lane when all of the clouds darken up the skyway there's a rainbow highway to be found leading from your window pane to a place behind the sun just a step beyond the rain and Mm -hmm. it leads and it just sets up the song so beautifully yeah. And, you know, I understand why it doesn't get done. But right. uh, I, I would just at any time I hear a rendition of Over the Rainbow and the person decides to do that opening verse. I'm just like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when all the world is a hopeless jumble and the raindrops tumble all around, hey. The magic lane When all the clouds darken up the skyway There's a rainbow highway to be found Leading from your window To a place behind the sun,
3: just a step beyond the
2: rain.
1: Over the Rainbow was voted Song of the Century by the Recording Industry Association of America, hmm. which is impressive to think about that. Like, out of all of the songs, of, right. I mean, it, it beat out, you know this land is your land. And I'm trying to think of all of these other iconic songs that it went out over and the American film Institute named it the number one song beating out as like, as time goes by, which I would argue is just as iconic, if not more, depending on on who you're speaking to as as far as songs and movies go. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's, I think it's a song that's going to live forever because there'll always be somebody doing a new rendition of it to kind of keep, in the culture and like we were saying earlier you know almost everybody knows it and it's it's i don't think it's ever going to go away
0: let's move on to the why is this so good section we are going to talk about the song they couldn't compare to you from out of this world with music and lyrics by cole porter so why did you choose this song for why is this so good
1: I wanted to pick something that was similar to the style of Yip Harburg. And I think there are times where lyricists are just showing off. And I think this is a perfect example of it where like the song doesn't really need to be there, but if it wasn't in the show, I would definitely miss it. You know, there's songs like the Miller's son or zip or brush up your Shakespeare or the begat Infinian's rainbow. Yeah. I call them 1045 numbers, where they show up right before all of that, the 11 o'clock number begins. And it's usually sung by characters we're not really necessarily needing to hear from at that moment. And uh, these songs, um, like the lyrics, they're just so good that I I don't care, <laughs> that, like, that I don't need to be like, you know, Brush Up Your Shakespeare is such a great song, but like, we don't need to hear from the two gangsters at this point in the show. Right. And, but, but they're just, you know, and they couldn't compare to you. It doesn't show up in act two like these other songs, but it, it's completely Cole Porter showing how witty he can be. And it just, it's him showing off is really like the best way of is really the only way to describe it. of just like, look at how clever I can be. Aren't I great? And, you know, (laughs) normally that would, you know, I'd be like, all right, good for you, whatever. But it's just so good that I'm just like, no, you, you you do you Cole. Um, And it's, you know, it's the, the musical itself is, is obscure. It just, it flopped and it was just kind of a minor show. I believe he wrote it right after kiss me, Kate. And it's, um, Mercury, the the Roman gods, Mercury and Jupiter, go to Earth to have some fun and Mercury meets this girl and he sings this song about all of the conquests he's had since the dawn of time. But don't worry, they're nothing compared to you. And like, which is just such a funny concept for a song.
4: They couldn't compare to you. They couldn't compare to you. Although I've played many, many a maid, they couldn't compare to you. I've thoroughly pitched the woo from the heights of Valhalla to Kalamazoo. And though they all had a lot on the ball, they couldn't compare But
2: true,
4: I hereby declare, from tiptoe to hair, they could not compare to you.
1: And and I I think of it as like a male counterpart to "Always True to You" in my fashion, Hmm. because they they both have these very similar vibes going for it. Where it's talking about all these these past people, but no, it's it's fine. It's it's but it's you I'm currently you know focused in on. So don't so don't worry about that.
0: Right. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the song from Kiss Me Kate, the gangster song, Brush Up Your Shakespeare, because, yeah, it's like that song is such a joy to listen to because it's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter much about what's going on. It's just like you just want to hear how it's going to keep topping itself you know yeah, like,
1: like how how is he going to get a 12th night reference in there you know you're just like right. waiting to see like what's gonna happen and um and it, like to me I'm just like thinking of Cole Porter writing this song and like you know I think it was like 1950 without the internet <laughs> just being yeah. able to like come up with these references that are so specific and people I've never heard of with the aid of the internet let alone like right. which just shows how smart he was and again, like we've been talking about list songs and I think people tend to talk about, you know, Cole Porter being, you know, the king of the list songs, but, you know, I think Harbour kind of gives him a run for his money, but this song is just, shows why he was one of the best at making a list song. um, There's this sort of patter section in the middle of the song where he says, there was Galatea and Mean Medea and Sappho, one of the best. There was Nefertiti, a perfect sweetie, and Gay Mae West. I was a hell of a fellow with Cinderella and Isabella of Spain and I used to caress both Lola Montez and that damn calamity Jane. <laughs> it's just like, h- yeah. how do you come up with this?
0: And, and then- that's a, that's a small part of it. It is a long. It that's goes, a long middle section there
1: <laughs> it goes on and on and then there's the, the, the very like naughty risque joke about Pandora that is just the build up to it that is just it's so funny
4: there was Galatea and mean Medea and Sappho one of the best there was Nefertiti a perfect Swedish and gay Mae West I was a hell of a fella with Cinderella and Isabella of Spain and I used to caress both Lola Montes and that damn Calamity Jane when betwixt Nelgren and Anne Boleyn, I was forced to make my choice. I became so confused I was even amused and abused by Peggy Joyce. There was Melissa, the platinum blonde, how I loved to ruffle her locks. There was bright Aurora, then Pandora, who
1: let me open
2: her to you.
0: And back into the chorus. <laughs> yeah, it just
1: jumps right into to the, the chorus girls coming in, so, so he doesn't have to, to, to say it, but everybody knows what he's gonna say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's like a mix of um mythological characters and real people yeah also. And,
1: and like i think it, it opened the same season as call me madam and he, and he has a joke about how he nestled ethel merman and yeah his, and it's so it's as as contemporary as ethel merman you know all the way back to uh eve i believe would <laughs> say so he just like yeah
0: that's it that's a, after snitching eve from adam i attended call me oh. madam and shortly began to nestle Essel Merman <laughs> oh,
1: totally. So, so he, he's he's gotten everybody through the course of time.
0: Yeah. But they're and, nothing
1: compared to this girl he just met.
0: <laughs> right. And he does also mention uh, Gypsy Rosalie, which I maintain she is like the most mentioned uh, person in musical theater. <laughs> because yeah. she appears in so many musicals just as like a reference or as a main character
1: (laughs) yeah and just you know and it's it's another you know zip another list song where it's just it's all about her talking to gypsy rose lee
0: (laughs) right it's like gypsy rose lee is all over the place the chorus is interesting too is that they they couldn't compare to you they couldn't compare to you although i've played many a maid they couldn't compare to you and then he says i've thoroughly pitched the woo is that like wooing, like wooing somebody? Yeah. Okay. Which it's... is just a very interesting way to phrase it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I pitched. I, I. Yeah. I. My first thought was like pitching or like pitching a tent or something.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, what's a woo? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, from the heights of Valhalla to Kalamazoo, a little internal rhyme there uh and though they all had a lot on the ball they couldn't compare to you so like even like that is like like relatively simple compared to the rest of the song that chorus but even then it still throws in some internal little internal rhymes and
1: it's 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 almost like he's easing everybody in before he just just goes for broke with the the verses the patter verses in the middle
0: yeah should we move on to our final section? Something wonderful, uh, just something in the world of musical theater upcoming or current that we are excited about or want to give a shout out to.
1: I'm really excited about all the revivals that are happening this season that are popping up. I, I'm, I love new musical theater. I love new writers, but I just love getting an opportunity to see some of these older shows that are kind of tricky to come by and I'm excited about the the encore season like I've never seen Dear World I'm so excited to see what that's going to be like on a stage especially with Donna Murphy
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, in there in the Angela Lansbury role and I'm also just curious to see what's going to happen with Camelot and having Aaron Sorkin completely rewriting the book on it and because like I love the score to Camelot but it is a very long slog of a show and you know you can you can just kind of tell that the book isn't up to par with the score so i i'm really hoping that aaron sorkin can figure out a way to kind of make it move a little bit faster and while still keeping every single song in the show
0: And I think uh, Oliver is part of the Encore season, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yes, I (laughs) get to have a a, a full circle moment. I know. And not only The the Light in the Piazza, which it's just kind of funny to me, that shows that were on Broadway in my lifetime, you know, I'm not even that old, but are now encore musicals, like, you know. right. it's, it's like it was 2005 that's, that's not that long like to me i'm like it's yeah. not that long ago and it's like oh no that was that was 20 years just about 20 <laughs> years
0: but i'm, I'm excited
1: yeah. to see that because I, i've never gotten to see that live and oh
0: I've, wow
1: I've, I've seen you know the pbs and listened yeah. to the cast album nonstop. so i'm so excited to get to see it in person mm-hmm.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow on Instagram at scene to song, on Twitter at scene song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scenetosong.substack.com, and contribute to our Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.